Welcome to the DGR Podcast. I'm your host, David Gray. Do you? Do you want my, um... Oh, do you need your wallet? I have my wallet. Okay. Do you need okay. it? Alright. Okay? Yeah, I think so. It looks so good. <laughs> yeah. you take a picture? I did. She's quick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Before anyone tells me not to. Okay, I leave you here. Best of luck. Enjoy. Thanks so much. Bye. I think it's been here already. Got here yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Quick turnaround. You're, uh, get things done. You're carrying this podcast, my friend. Oh man. <laughs> Never had to do that before. You got you got some better experience now that you've done a bunch of episodes now, right? Yeah, but I haven't done many in person ones. Only yeah. a few. So yeah. Ah look, it's my podcast. I don't have any other advertisers. I don't have anything, so I can do whatever I want. It's and uh, say whatever brought I want. to you by a lower body basis. Exactly. <laughs> so it's like it's literally like whatever I want to do. So yeah. there's no pressure really. Who I guess like what prompted you to start that? It was just try to make more money. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking crazy now, man. Like the uh, I think I, that whole space is like opened up mm. just insane. Yeah, especially the education. Which Obviously, you know, but more people are into just like not just the like flagship courses that you would have heard about before. Yeah. The mentorship thing is big. That's good. Yeah, it was crazy. As in start, start. Okay. I mean, I've been recording for a while. All right. And all those things kind of get spliced in and out and yeah. This is pressure, man. You're, this, is my, this is my first in-person podcast. You were just telling everyone how rich you are. No, no. <laughs> I can't put that on the internet. <laughs> no. I, yeah, it's... The online education stuff, I think, is... One, it's like, I'm attending your course this weekend. I haven't attended an, an in-person course since January when I went to go see Pablo in Miami. Mm-hmm. I only went to go because I was like, it's Pablo. Mm-hmm. You never get to meet this Russian guy that often. <laughs> you just I'm, read about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, <laughs> he doesn't have an Instagram, no Twitter. And during the, the seminar, he's like, I don't have, I, do, I barely use my phone. I'm not on social media. I have about five people I talk to about strength and conditioning stuff. And he's like, that's it. So when I saw him come up on the calendar, I was like, oh shit. Mm-hmm. But to your point, it's like, I haven't actually... I haven't done like an in-person course in a minute. It's just been like yeah. virtual, lots of support from people, you know, these live calls and it's been pretty solid, like I guess development wise, but also like doing our product and giving it to other people. Mm-hmm. Like we see clinicians like get a lot better. Mm-hmm. I haven't done a course, any course online or in person in minimum of two years, maybe three which I kind of, I, I did it on purpose. I made a vow to myself to like stop for a while just to see where our model went. Yeah. And it got much better when I stopped doing courses. Uh, now, not forever. And not to say that I, I know everything or anything like that. It was just like, okay, I have a lot of info now. Let's yeah. consolidate for a little while. And that was an interesting time for me. Right now, it's like, I, I feel like I got to keep, I keep bouncing back and forth from like business stuff. 
to clinical learning. So like now I'm like, oh, I'm back into clinical learning. So I'm mm-hmm. taking a ton of you know, Con Ed courses and I'm just letting the business stuff simmer. It's like you're developing, you're taking everything you've learned from a business side of things yeah. and you're starting to put like, all right, this is a principle, you know, like same thing when it comes to like training and rehab, like this is something that, you know, it's fundamentally true when it comes to business and I'm starting to build that framework. But when it comes to the clinical side, it's like, now I'm back into it, you know, <laughs> diving into all these, diving into a little bit more like compression expansion, try to see where my weaknesses are, where I can improve and like just taking those courses but to your point, like I was talking to my wife, I was like, I can't do another business mentorship. <laughs> I can't hear all these stats and stuff anymore. Like I just need to sit down maybe with a journal, maybe with a Word doc and just start to put everything I know about business onto there, everything we have about our business onto it mm-hmm. and start to see like where everything starts to connect. Yeah. Yeah. You you are probably at the point where I was a few years ago with the movement stuff, now with the business stuff where you're like, okay, I've learned a lot of stuff. And if I keep learning, I'm not actually implementing things. So yeah, taking the time to consolidate and actually putting into place whatever business stuff you need to before going on to do another course or mentorship. Yeah, you're going to end up having like way too many cooks in one kitchen. You yeah. know, like now I just try to, I, I go through maybe one or two courses a quarter and I really try to like study it. I take like the fire hydrant approach. I take that course, I'm gonna have everyone do it. Like every single one of my clients, yeah. you know. When I took like Lee Taft stuff, it's like everyone was doing yeah. lateral shuffles, hip turns. I'm like, hey, you're you're rehabbing my shoulder. But like, I know, but I just gotta see how you do it. I gotta see the movement. <laughs> I'm I'm very like that. Yeah. <laughs> so for me, even like, you know, plyos. Yeah, yeah. Go for it. You know, anything, even like with plyos, respiration stuff. It's like, you just keep applying it. You keep seeing how people move, the little nuances. Mm -hmm. And then the quicker you do that, I think the quicker you get better at those things. But if you are a little bit more timid, you're scared to fail, it ends up taking forever Mm -hmm. (laughs) like to get good at what you do. I like to implement things straight away, like immediately. Like the following day when I don't have a clue what I'm doing, you learn much quicker that way. Oh yeah. Like when I'm like trying to build content now, it's like I look at like, I have like, 15,000 videos on my phone and I'm like scrolling back the other day and I'm like holy crap the way I coached this was horrendous Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know like I was like there's no way that person got any range of motion back it was just (laughs) it's disgusting yeah but But you probably tricked yourself into at the time thinking it worked really well that's the thing because when I look back as well at old content five years ago I was doing a breathing drill or something and like I'm like this worked really well for this client x y and z but actually now when I look at it, I'm like, there was no way that could have worked for that client. <laughs> yeah, it's like, the state of what I was doing. Like it's like, you, you see it, it's like, now you, before you're thinking like, okay, I'm getting relative motion back. I see these things happening. And now you look at it, it's like immediately, it's like orientation. It's like, yeah. like massive suck. It's like, yeah. and it's like, there's no way they actually got any true motion back. Yeah. They're just robbing Peter to pay Paul. And I feel like that was like the first year of practicing, just robbing Peter to pay Paul. <laughs> <laughs> and then eventually it's like, oh shit, I can have both qualities. I can mm-hmm. start to build on these things. But in the beginning, you know, that's the one thing I, I talk, we talk, you probably talk to so many clinicians. I get on like lunches, calls, coffees and stuff with people like every week. And new grads are always asking me like, hey, what should I do? What's your biggest advice? I'm like, don't be afraid to fail. Like mm-hmm. you gotta apply these things. You gotta learn like what's wrong, how to be more efficient and, these things start to develop and your skill sets starts to improve. Yeah. But you know, what's the ROI on, you know, some people say, oh, this respiration rib cage stuff is useless. 
But if you haven't done it enough to understand the nuances, it's useless for you applying it. Exactly. You don't have any context. <laughs> exactly. You know? That's the whole biopsychosocial model at the moment, which is like actually just turning into like completely dis disregard the bio side of things. And I was thinking about it recently. I think about it all the time, but I was like, of course, those clinicians that say the bio is basically doesn't exist. It's all psychosocial now. And bio obviously isn't just biomechanics, but at definitely the biomechanics side of the bio doesn't exist. And I'm like, of course, from their point of view, it doesn't because they couldn't tell you if in the closed chain, is that hip internal or external rotation there? Don't know. <laughs> so of course it doesn't exist for their, their point of view. Of course, if you're coaching a breathing drill or something like that, why would it work? Or why would you think, why would you not think it was useless? Because you have no idea how to actually implement it and where it fits in in the whole anyway. So yeah, that's one of the questions I got. Um, did you get many questions? I got a lot of questions like that, you know, how do you treat shin splints? How do you treat mm. this? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I just disregard those questions. <laughs> no, it, and it kind of goes back to those, like, you know, when you think of like a problem, it's like there's an umbrella, right? It's like an umbrella diagnosis. Someone's like, hey, how do I deal with shin splints? It's like, well, let's dial it back. What is that initially, right? It's an overload. Mm -hmm. So what can cause an overload to those tissues? Now it becomes like <laughs> 20 different webs. Mm -hmm. So it's like those kind of questions are just so hard you know, to answer, but to your point, like with the biopsychosocial model, like I'm reading this book called Thinking in Systems, and you probably see this too. Who wrote that? Danella Meadows. Okay. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, I didn't even know you can, she's a PhD in systems thinking, phenomenal book. But she was saying how like, you know, we often think about how A causes B, but we don't think about how B causes A. Mm -hmm. And there becomes this like reinforcing feedback loop and from the biopsych, to tie it back with like the biopsychosocial model, like people that focus so much on the bio that they create these like movement hypochondriacs. Like, oh, I can't move out of neutral. Yeah. Mm, gotta make sure I keep tucked. I gotta make sure when I open the fridge, it's this reciprocal <laughs> arm action, right? Because now you're, you're creating like this like hypervigilance and that amplifies it. So it's like, okay, you're focused on the biomechanics to get someone out of pain. Or like you think biomechanics is causing someone pain, but now they get so scared to move and they think there's one perfect way to move that it just keeps making them more rigid. And mm -hmm. you kind of see this with like lower back pain. It's like people that are like anti-rotation everything. I'm not saying it's bad. It's just that's the only way you're training it. Now this person moves like a fridge. Yeah, it's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a mess. Um, okay, I'm going to open up my questions that I got. I'll read, your, I'll read you out a couple and you My can. My Instagrams, I don't have Instagram on the phone anymore, so I gotta. I just wrote them down in notes. <laughs> so, uh, okay. One, why did you quit BJJ and Muay Thai? I don't know if that's actually true or not, but that's a question that I got. No. Uh, second one, does a difference really exist between a fascial-driven and muscle-driven athlete? Uh, another one, thoughts on breath work as a form of rehabilitation. Uh, another one, you have both built personal brands in the industry. Would you recommend going that route? And if so, what are your top tips? And then uh, I just had one around you, your business and your building a team or how does that look at the moment? So did you quit BJJ and Muay Thai? Yeah, I've never done Muay Thai before. I, I, I've done <laughs> Maybe this person has yeah, no idea I, who I, you I are. I, I've done <laughs> uh, introductory Muay Thai class. Um, and I don't think I should because I don't have any hip internal rotation. Like it just would not do well <laughs> i don't <laughs> rotate well uh bjj I had to pause because like i had a uh, had a nosebleed episode so one day came home from training 
and I just like blew my nose and I, my nose started bleeding. And after about like 15 minutes, I'm like, oh shit, this thing is not stopping. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, Christy, get me, get me like the frozen peas, you know, <laughs> I put it on my head. Let's, let's like, let's get this thing stabilized. And it stopped after about 45 minutes. But I'm like, damn, that's a, that's a, long that's a lot of blood. Yeah. Then on Monday, I'm, I'm treating this patient of mine virtually. And he's on a West Coast, older gentleman. So it's like a lot of queuing. I got, I got to get him in the right, these right positions. Mm-hmm. I've seen him in person before. He flew out to New York to work with me, then flew back. And I was just getting frustrated because I, you know, I give him the cues. I give him exercise videos between. I'm sending him these programs. And I'm like, how do you not notice exercise? It's been in your program <laughs> for four weeks. So I feel like my blood pressure was rising a little bit, getting a little frustrated. <laughs> And then all of a sudden, my nose starts bleeding. <laughs> and I was like, oh, fuck. And I, I can feel it. I'm like, this is not one of those things that's going to stop. So I'm like, hey, um, we're 45 minutes into the session. I've got an emergency. My nose is bleeding. I don't think it's stopping. <laughs> so this guy is just watching me from the yellow screen. Blood is just gushing. And I just, I just close my Zoom. Not a good session. Not a good session. <laughs> but... We, Hour passes, it's still bleeding. Yeah. So I'm like, Christy, like we got to go to the hospital. We live like a couple of blocks away. And this is like where I've learned, like you, you want to stay as healthy as possible because the ER is a fucking shit show. Mm-hmm. You don't get seen. My nose bled for four hours before someone oh, finally worked with me. Fuck. So I'm just holding this napkin here. And, and every now and again, you have to let go to let like a, just gush like. Let it gush. Yeah. So like those things that you carry where like you vomit into like those I filled up half a bag and the nurse, the nurse takes me, takes me to the back. She goes, you have to tilt your head, honey. And I'm like, no, I've already read this online. Like, and I t- tried that already. Like I said, don't tilt your head back. Cause like you'll choke on your blood. So she's like, no, just do it. So I, I tilt my head back. Like two minutes later, I just like, cough, I choke on blood. And I cough it all out oh. on the floor. And I'm like, oh, I told you I didn't want to do that. <laughs> so how did they get it to stop? Or did it just stop? They put like acid, some sort of acid into Conswab. They just stuffed it up my nose. And I kid you not, they put two popsicle sticks and put a, like put a tie at the end. So like it puts pressure in and just, I'd held my nose there for like 30 minutes and oh, it stopped. Fuck. Then they, you know, the following Friday put a, this 500 degree wand into my nose and it cauterized it. So that whole ordeal costs like after insurance and stuff like that costs 2,500. Nice. So I'm just waiting for his nose to heal. I, I don't want to go back prematurely. Yeah. Someone puts pressure on my face. Just gushes. <laughs> gushes under gee and I'm just like, ah. not only am I going to feel bad for that guy, I'm just going to be like, I'm fucking down 2,500 again. Like it's <laughs> start this again. <laughs> yeah. Um, way too. It happened Kira last year. We went to Rome and we got to the apartment late that night, got into the apartment and next thing she had a nosebleed. And it went on for like an hour and a half. And she, she was freaking, she was panicking. Like she was like crying on, sitting on the toilet. (laughs) Like, like, am I going to die? Like, because I'm losing so much blood. And I was like, you're fine, you're fine. And I was shitting myself because it was so much fucking blood. Uh, So yeah, I never want to see that again. The, that Saturday when I first had the hour nosebleed, I went through two tampons. I put one (laughs) tampon on my nose. Took it out 15 minutes. It went through the whole thing. Chris is like, ho- like, I could see her getting worried. Yeah. And I, I just try to keep it together. In my head, I'm like, I'm going to fucking bleed out. <laughs> but I don't want to tell her this. <laughs> it's a bad way to go. That's How why. did he die? No sleep. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, you don't want to be at the, you know, your, your tombstone. It says like, brave man 
weak nose. No, it's weak. <laughs> you know, like something like that. <laughs> so jujitsu will happen again soon, but you, you, you started it too, right? Yeah, but uh, I'm shit. I know everyone is shit, but I'm, I think I'm extra shit for some reason. And everyone always says like, oh, when you get a bit of skill, you'll be really like, I don't want to fight you when you actually have a bit of technique. I'm like, that is a massive insult to me right now. Like, <laughs> it's just because you are semi-strong, but also shit is basically what they're saying. Are you keeping consistent with it right now, though? Or? Nah, the last couple of months, I haven't been. So I know like two or three sweeps that I can like hit a lot. And then I'm pretty good from top where I'm just kind of good at manipulating people a little bit. But once it gets into like close quarters, like side control or mount, either on top or bottom, I just, if I'm on top, I'm just trying to stay there. I can't submit <laughs> anyone. And if I'm on bottom, like I'm just like a dead fish lying there. So I'm like, <laughs> okay, I've used all my energy to stop you getting here. And now you're here. I can't get out of this. So it's like, it's like really aggressive manual therapy. Yeah. You know, like that's how it got it from me. I'm like, I'm like, I can actually use some of these things to mobilize joints. Now I'm just trying to break you. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah I got a lovely like seven cracks in my back the other day when I hit the ground. Um, okay, so thoughts on breath work as a form of rehabilitation. You've spoken about it a little bit. Where are you on that side of things? So that was the question, thoughts, which is always not a great question. But yeah, I, you got to take it back, right? It's like everyone has their own bias. Like when I first came into health and fitness industry, I was doing bodybuilding. You know, did a bodybuilding show and it was kind of cool. Yeah. And then uh, I was 18, didn't look good. <laughs> like upper body jack, lower body, didn't train them. You know, it, just tanned it, you know, just tanned it. And hopefully the tan marks and the streaks create some, uh, <laughs> some quads. Fake muscle. <laughs> <laughs> but then after that, it's like, back then we only really had like, you know, I'm not sure if you're familiar with like T Nation. Yeah. You know, T Nation, bodybuilding.com, muscle and fitness magazine, got into like powerlifting. So it's like at that time, I was like, I, if I can get everyone that I work with squatting, benching, and deadlifting, They're that's going to be a solid yeah. athlete right there. You know, and six months into practicing, I'm like, I am not helping that many people. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Where I, are these people getting worse? <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, these people are. You know, they're getting stronger, but they're not getting back to their goals. Mm -hmm. Stuff that requires a little bit more impact. Um, stuff that requires like <laughs> reciprocal <motion>. movement. <laughs> yeah. So it's like from there, I, I, I dove into like plyometrics, sprinting. Um, that, that was going really, really well until I, pe I realized like, oh, people don't just move forward and back. They mm -hmm. got to go side to side. You know, they go into like multidirectional speed and you start to learn like, okay, I got all these things down, but now my athletes are just exhausted. Like now I got to learn energy systems. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, now I've got all these things, but like I can identify when what's I can identify what's going on with someone at that moment in time, but I couldn't figure out what to do. Mm -hmm. Meaning orthopedically, like I can reproduce their pain consistently with certain patterns and I can see the resemblance. Yeah. I just couldn't figure out what the actual solution was. And that's like when I took a deeper dive into like the the biomechanics, uh, you know, looking at the foot and how it affects everything up the chain, and then starting to look at rib cage stuff. So it's like you're just working on expanding your model so that you can account for more mm -hmm. problems. Like one of the things I see, it's like when people just focus on respiration, you know, you're focusing on respiration with like Sally, who's like 70 years old. She's been physically inactive her whole life. It's like, I think Sally just needs to train. Yeah. You know, Sally, like, yeah. You know, Sally can just get better through training. Yeah. And then the flip side is true. It's like you, you get these power lifters that go to like physical therapists and the physical therapists are like, <clears throat> 
your glutes are weak. Yeah. Like there's no freaking way. Yeah. This guy's got 800 pounds on his back. There's gotta be something else. So like what's missing? You know, like how can I help this person? So respiration has a model of like rehab itself. I think it's incomplete. Very incomplete. Yeah. Yeah. It's very useful yeah. for the right person. But if that's like, if you're a one trick pony, one, you're gonna get really good at treating a very specific problem. Mm-hmm. And but you're also going to see that problem in everyone, yeah. even when it's not there. <laughs> exactly. And you won't ever remember the people that you don't help because yeah. they probably don't come back. Yeah. Because you weren't willing to try something else different, you mm-hmm. know? So it's like that survivorship bias. It's uh, you're, you're the best in the world because the people that do stick with you <laughs> actually needed that input. Yeah. Yeah. But how do you feel about that? Uh, I've toed and froed a lot, but I'm at a point now where I feel like I have a lot of clarity around it. And I think the... Uh, sorry, no, I'm talking about my, after flying, I'm like super nasally <laughs> <laughs> and I've had about four coffees already today. So um, I, I think, I feel like I have a lot of clarity around it now where, who do I do breath work with? A, a lot of people, but who do I emphasize it with is people who have a very stiff rib cage, which sounds obvious, <laughs> yeah. but a lot of people don't make it that clear they're talking about all these different things and asymmetry and blah 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 I just look at a, a rib cage that doesn't really move can't really move and those are the people that I feel need it the most and then there's also the people that are just super stressed but they are also usually have a very stiff rib cage but I do feel that for those may be very stressed people. You don't have to do the breath work to do to get the ribcage moving. You could do just certain types of movement where they're moving their spine and their ribs around a lot. But with a certain type of person, that doesn't seem to work because they have they do use big orientations to get movements to occur. And actually, it's this kind of getting all the ribs to move towards each other and away from each other. It's it's not very difficult. It's basically impossible to get that to happen at a rib cage without going through a breath cycle you can't like i use a lot of like overhead reaches and turns and all this stuff but you can't get internal rotation of the ribs without an exhale at least not i don't think you can at least not through any you can get the whole thorax moving but not uh, each individual rib so um yeah people who have very stiff rib cage people who are very stressed And then there's also people who I've noticed that I really don't want to do breath work with and I'll talk, I'll do all these other things with, but I noticed that I'm particularly lower limb here, but it does apply to upper, it actually applies to both, but people who, let's say you do a calf raise and I can't explain this particularly well, but you do a calf raise with them and they feel like lateral shin, Yeah. right? It's always like these accessory muscles. You do a, you do a foam roller bridge or, or something like that, and they always feel like the arch of their foot cramp. You do, uh, you're trying to do like a glute max exercise, and they get kind of like IT bandy stuff or lateral knee. Uh, with the a lot of people that get like tennis elbow or golfer's elbow, you're trying to do a tricep exercise, and all they feel is their elbow. These types of people, and I can actually see it happening. It's not just like. It's not just I feel like they need it. It's actually, okay, I do a foam roller bridge and all you can feel is your, like this little string of muscle on the lateral calf or the lateral hamstring. And it's not the belly of the muscle. So 
when you actually do that for one set with someone, right off you go, just don't die, but don't focus on any breathing. <laughs> and then when you do a second set and you get them to do strong exhales during it, they will start to feel like proper belly of the muscle working, belly of the calves, belly of the hamstring. And those are people that can trick you into thinking that they don't need any breath work, but you can keep pushing strength work in different ways and it will always be like just like tendony stringy parts of the muscle rather than the belly of the muscle and they have some examples that i don't know if we'll go over them this weekend but yeah i have a, i have a client at the moment actually that really stands out in that regard who has been with like all the best physios in ireland and for several years and has had like a right calf problem and perineal tendon problems and They've all just done, particularly yeah, perineal tendon and right calf. And when he came to me in March, I think he couldn't run 50 meters. Like it felt like his calf was going to tear every time. And they've for, for five years, maybe more, they've just been doing calf. People have been doing calf raises with him. Yeah. And he has very, his calves are massive anyway. <laughs> and uh, like I put him into a foam roller bridge and all he can feel is this like all his perineals working, which if anyone who's done a foam roller bridge, like that shouldn't be the case. And, um, yeah, I get him to do some like strong exhales in between sets and during that. And he feels like the belly of the hamstring working, the soleus, like the meatiest part and all that like lateral stuff starts to go away. So we, we focus a lot on strong exhales with him. It feels like he can't for someone not feels like I can't feel what he feels like, but for people like that, it feels like they can't, I feel like they can't pressurize the middle of their body, like get this internal rotation to occur. So that's where I think breath work can be valuable for those few different types of individuals. But the question was like on a rehabilitation model. It's not a model for rehabilitation. <laughs> yeah. It's a it's a tool as part of a model. And that is probably where a lot of the frustration with PRI comes from. A lot of people get frustrated, rightly or wrongly. But whether they intend it to be a full model or not, people treat it like it is and use it like it's a full model where it just use only this and they end up with your, their clients just doing isometric move like isometrics and breathing exercise at the same it's an isometric breathing exercise yeah. and that is never going to be a full model <laughs> no I, I think what i agree with a lot of what you're saying it's like those if you're doing a a certain intervention, you're almost trying to anchor your decision to something, mm -hmm. right? Like it's like, hey, I'm doing this respiration stuff because I expect something to change. It doesn't necessarily be that you see, you know, you, you do a toe touch and you don't see the ribs come back and down. That can be one thing, but it's like, how does an exercise feel afterwards, target tissues? Because like my screens are, you know, you can make a screen out of anything essentially, but you know, your, your mobility screens, your isolated table tests, global screens, squatting, toe touch, back extension, looking to see how all these things move. And then the actual training itself, like can this person actually feel the target tissues? Because mm -hmm. like you said, I, I've done a hamstring bridge on a foam roller, definitely don't feel my lateral calf. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's like, what's wrong with that? Right? Yeah. Like how do I, how can I start to problem solve that? And then when I give this person an input, like an exhale, when I get them to pressurize a little bit more towards midline, Every exercise that I'm giving is giving this person a particular quality and it just gives me insight of what this person needs mm -hmm. and what I need to respect as I start to scale the training, mm -hmm. right? Because you'll see technical failure isn't just like the reps and stuff slowing down, but it's like, okay, 
this might have been overreaching from a movement standpoint. Now their body stiffens up because it's too much load for them, yeah. right? Because you'll see two things. You'll see a body that stiffens up when it's too much load yeah. or just completely collapse into the ground. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, you, you see those, especially in plyos, like a stiff leg landing or someone that just like collapses in the ground because they can't create that stretch mm -hmm. reflex. Mm -hmm. 100%. Um, yeah, so that's where, for me, breath work comes in there. And I think it's valuable. I actually spoke to my, I think my only other in-person podcast for our podcast was with Alina Canner in New York in August last year. And we went through a full like PRI, like every course that we've done, that type of thing. So I think it's, it is, it can be very, very valuable. And also you couldn't, you wouldn't go, you, you, you wouldn't necessarily go wrong to teach every client what a good, really good breath cycle feels like. And I know people will strum on that argument, which is like, <laughs> um, oh, you're, you're teaching someone breathing, that, does that mean they don't know how to breathe? If they're alive, they're breathing. But you don't use that argument with anything else. It's like, okay, you're, you're doing a leg extension for someone's knee. Does that mean that their quad doesn't work? No, it just means it could work a bit better. So like there is people that straw man that breathing stuff all the time. But I'm going to be using breathing. Everyone is going to be using breathing throughout every exercise, a squat. You want to, you probably don't want to hold your breath for 10 reps of a squat. So I want you to go through a, a breath cycle. And so I, I want people to actually feel what that feels like to do a good breath cycle. So teaching someone a good breath cycle, which is three simple components and uh, what a good inhale might feel like. And good is obviously relative to the person and uh, everything else. What a good exhale and what a good pause is. So you have them three different components to teach someone i don't see an issue with teaching that to someone and then ha having them take that with them unless of course they're not interested in learning it then there's a negative yeah you know <laughs> which we, is a quite a few people no we get people that come through it's like yeah i don't want to do any breath stuff i've seen i've seen people i've done this already with other practitioners it hasn't worked mm -hmm. and it takes a little bit of convincing not right then and there but building that rapport over time but to your point it's like what's better right for breathing it's like if you're watching someone breathe and their whole body rises like their spirits <laughs> leaving them <laughs> then it's like yeah you, and, and then their necks bothering them complaining of chronic you know tightness in their shoulders it's a simple test it's like hey take a deep breath and you can imagine that person that's so stressed and they take a deep breath it's like yeah like their whole body will rise and then if that's how they take a deep breath when they take their short, shallow breaths repetitively because they're stressed and their deep breaths are like that, you know, they're in this kind of like attractor state where it's like they can't move out of that. They've just adopted this as like a really good pattern. Mm -hmm. So better when it comes to breathing, it's like, can other things contribute to this? Like you, you're going to end up having the same muscle groups do the same thing. And those muscle groups happen to be the ones that are symptomatic for you. Mm -hmm. So it, it's, I, I do think there is a, uh, very taboo thing with like respiration because a lot of people come from this like, oh, you're doing it wrong. But, and people are like, oh, you need to breathe better. It's more so probably just like, hey, we just need to introduce some variability in the yeah. system, right? That's what like, it is, 100%, yeah. exactly. With the rib cage, that's what it is. It's, can you get the ribs moving? Not because it's a, a magical thing that's going to fix everything, but because you have a rib cage that can't move. <laughs> so let's get it moving. But uh, we had a guy at our... Um, workshop in Tyrone in Northern Ireland, in Alice's Clinic, actually. And I won't name him, 
because he's probably listening and she, <laughs> not not no not in a bad you know way but, just, I, yeah, <laughs> but he couldn't inhale uh because like i teach a lot a nice relaxed inhale a lot of the time through the nose and it can still be big but relaxed and actually he was working with another practitioner when they were just coaching each other through a few of the movements and they were looking at pelvic tilts or something and he was trying to get him to inhale and exhale and he couldn't like he was doing it so silent and relaxed that he was just not moving anything (laughs) and uh we had to get him to like do a massive sniff like you described there which is what you would typically see as like, I don't want to see that from other people. But we were coaching him. It was like, come on, sniff. And he was still like, come on, sniff. He was like, he was like, and it was so compressed. So in that instance, we were like, come on, pull as much air in. And finally, he was actually able to open something. So, uh, yeah. I just like imagining like 30 people surrounding this like table. And you're like, come on, <laughs> sniff, yeah, sniff. Yeah. And like, yeah. And he wasn't <laughs> sniffing. He was just moving nothing. So, yeah, I think in the past, I've, and probably a lot of people ha- would have, you know, you're, you're kind of taught to do it in a certain way. Like it needs to be a nice, relaxed inhale and a strong exhale. Like that's basically pure I teach. 90% of the, I would say 99% of people that have gone to a course or work with them will have learned a nice, relaxed inhale and a really strong blowing exhale. And he, and not, definitely not a sniff. And he, he needed like... <laughs> a big massive sniff in through his nose which until you've until you take a step back and take away the algorithm thinking and actually just look at what's happening in front of you you wouldn't probably give him that cue you know what i mean yeah and i like that because it's like there's there's a certain context for certain things even when people say like things are just ridiculous it's like a terrible exercise you know like i I go the same thing like some people are like oh bandit sidestepping is like a terrible exercise it's gonna ruin your gait mechanics and i'm like listen i put up a meme about that yeah i'm like i'm working with someone that's like 80 years old (laughs) they have absolutely no control of their body they finally do something like that it makes them feel pretty good feels like it's working we retest the stairs and stairs feel better i'm like perfect you're gonna do banded sidestepping it requires very little thought right but like you know something in your context of like the sniffing like we don't know what's happening underneath the hood because there's so many systems at play so we're just putting something into the machine and seeing what it gives us. <laughs> and if you can repetitively do it based on that pattern, it's like, oh, that might put it into this machine more often. Mm-hmm. You know, it might consider that stiff more often if you see it. Mm-hmm. But it's funny because like, yeah, r- up until this point, I'm like, I would never really cue like a that kind of sniff. Yeah. But like to your point. Not, like, not someone, if you want a nosebleed. <laughs> not if you don't want a nosebleed. <laughs> but you know, you, you're talking to this guy that like you can barely hear the inhale. It's yeah. Like, Right. And and you could visually like he cannot open anything at the front or the back. He just wasn't taking in enough air. So I'm like, you you sniffing as much air as you can. <laughs> but a couple of years ago, like I would have if I saw someone else cueing that, I would have been like, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. You know what I mean? So now you're gonna ruin that guy's marriage because he's like laying in bed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've actually been snoring a bit recently for Kira's fucking killing me. And she's pregnant, so I'm so paranoid about waking her up and now <laughs> and now i can't sleep because of it because i'm like i'm snoring i'm sniffing all the time so i need to fix that that's sorry that's a complete side have, you, have you done any like nose tape out i mean the nose i tried strip. the mouth tape the other night and um i just fucking took it off <laughs> actually she <laughs> i used to wear it a little bit but the, the mouth tape i could never really it always just annoyed me the nose opener thing actually works really well for me 
It's amazing. Yeah, that works well. It's uh, like one of the easiest things that like you just spread your yeah. nose like this. If you feel like you breathe better, just yeah. throw a nose strip on and yeah. like you'll be so happy. Yeah. So yeah, she actually just came in with the mouth tape and she was like, you're wearing this. So. <laughs> but then like two hours later, I just took it off. So we were, uh, we were traveling in Europe and we were in, when we travel, it's like not very outlandish or lavish. We opt to like stay in like a, you know, budget Airbnb hotel. We get this hotel and there's like not even enough space to open our luggage in Paris. <laughs> and we're sleeping one night and the walls are so thin. I can hear every single scooter pass by. So I, I, I was barely sleeping. Sounds like New York. <laughs> <laughs> and at around probably like two or three a.m. in the morning, this, this truck goes... And Christy just jumps out. Like, oh my gosh. I'm like, don't worry. It's not in the room. Like, we're, we're on the third floor. But since then, she started wearing earplugs. She, we bought earplugs and she's like, every single night she, she was like falling asleep. It's almost like you built this uh, routine for yourself. Mm -hmm. She puts in the earplug. I kid you not, the moment it goes in, she's probably like dozing off. But now like in the morning, I'm like grinding coffee. I'm like slamming it. I can do whatever the hell I want. She's not waking up. She got earplugs on. Before I was like, tiptoe. <laughs> when Kira's wearing... To make it worse, she is wearing the earplugs and she's still <laughs> hearing my snoring. So yeah, it must be bad. Yeah. So yeah. You're gonna have to get those um Apple ear head headphones for her. She's going to <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> put on some nice sound for her. Uh okay, so thoughts on building a personal brand. Actually, that wasn't the question. Uh you have both built personal brands in the industry. Would you recommend going that route? And if so, what are your top tips? So before you answer that question, you might give an insight into your current business. Yeah. what that involves. So currently right now, it's like I have a physical therapy practice and I was working for someone else at the time. And I've been building a personal brand since I was in second year of physical therapy school. But I was working out for, for someone else at the time. Um, I did a lot of things for that company, built the website twice, wrote blogs, did sales calls, uh, network with trainers, youth athletic training, online training. We had like 80 people following our kettlebell programs. I did semi-private training see like 30 something sessions a week, pretty much everything I had my hands in. So I, I just got kind of burnt out. And then um, I started my own practice and that was September, 2019. Mm -hmm. And this is where like the personal brand stuff kind of helps. Cause you know, up until that point, I would just go, go, go. I would be at every event, um, just creating content, just learning, pumping out books and like try, just trying to be the best clinician I could be. So for September, 2019, I, I made a post. I'm like, I quit. We're starting a company called Moment Physical Therapy. And within the first 10 minutes of opening the site, contact us form comes through. And I'm like, there's no way it's this easy. I don't think this is going to happen that frequently. Fast forward three months, I have a full caseload. My wife has a full caseload. And within three months, no paid ads, no marketing. I didn't even know how to ask for a referral at that time. We just had two full caseloads. So mm -hmm. I was like, holy cow. I don't say it was that easy, but it was a lot of work to get to that point where, you know, you build a lot of trust in your community and people yeah. are slowly coming to see you for their ailments. So it's around like November. I remember it's like before Thanksgiving, I look at Christy and I was like, we're getting really busy and we're going to need to hire somebody. I just don't know how to hire anyone. So I was like, all right, I'm going to create a mentorship. What and year is this? November, 2019 still. So 2019. two months after opening yeah. up, I was like, I'm going to create a mentorship. Because one, we did pretty something pretty amazing. We filled up two, you know, schedules, like mm -hmm. us both seeing like mid twenties per week. And at that point I was like, 
I posted on Instagram, hey, I'm going to start a mentorship. Uh, I've been thinking about this for a long time and I didn't know when was the right time. But the fact that we're able to fill up two schedules this quickly and no word of mouth, just strictly getting people unbelievable results, I think we're ready. So I'm going to be launching a mentorship in January and we're going to launch the signups in mid-December. If you're interested, sign up for the email. So we have our physical therapy practice growing now. I get 80 emails and I was like, all right, we'll see what happens. I have no idea on like email marketing newsletters or anything at this point. I release the uh, mentorship and I release the mentorship. It sells out in a day. And I look at Christy, I'm like, she's like, what happened? I'm like, now I got to create a mentorship. <laughs> yeah. So now that's a, we have two businesses right now. We have our physical therapy practice. Uh, it's me, my wife, uh, two clinicians, and we have a staff uh, administrative person. And then with the mentorship, it's me and another mentor, Grace. And we've done eight cohorts now. We've sold out every single cohort and we've done two seminars. I didn't want to release too many seminars the first year because I was like, I still got to get better at teaching seminars, mm -hmm. you know, delivering the information, how to break out things more efficiently. So like next year, we'll probably have like eight to 10, yeah. but for the first year, just two. So that's where we're at right now. You know, I've been practicing for a little over I think almost four years now, we have a physical therapy practice and we have an educational uh, platform. So the personal brand worked then? I think it did pretty well. Yeah, yeah it's not <laughs> so bad. Far. Yeah. yeah. Hey guys, just a super quick break from the show. I just wanted to tell you that for our foot, ankle and Achilles program, we actually just added a bonus section to it. So there's already four phases worth of foot and lower leg training. It shows you the exact step-by-step -step system that I use with all my lower leg and foot clients. And then we had a couple of people asking a little bit around big toe stuff about improving flexion and extension and strength around the big toe and the forefoot in general. So I added in a bonus big toe awakening sequence there as well so for those of you who've already bought it the 3000 almost now you'll see that bonus at the start uh, sorry at the end of the whole program so there's the education the four phases uh the plyometric work and then you'll see the bonus at the bottom for those of you who haven't got it yet same for you so make sure you jump on it uh we'll put the link in the show notes and you won't regret it it's been our most popular by a by a mile program so far and i absolutely am very proud of it so check out the foot ankle and achilles program in the show notes so you started creating content content when you were still studying yeah yeah I, I would not take that don't don't scroll far don't go there <laughs> yeah, but don't that doesn't matter though <laughs> yeah. as in like because someone asked me this on my stories the other day i'm in i'm studying i'm in second year advice for creating content or something which that question never there's only one simple answer to that question is just like start creating content, yeah. like make a video. But I did say just reserve the right to be wrong all yeah. like all the time if you want and uh, change your mind. Yeah. So, can, yeah. That's what I was going to say. Don't scroll that far back and take that advice. I would uh, Yeah, don't take, take the yeah, advice. I wouldn't take the advice yeah. anymore. And I'm more than happy to admit when I'm wrong or when I've changed my mind on things. You know, there's so many things before where it's like, I, I think I made a post about how like you should uh, spread your feet and grip your toes so the knees don't come in when you squat. I would never yep. do that now. Yeah. Maybe not never, but like, I don't see any context where I would do that now. So there's like advice that I gave when I was younger and just kind of getting started out. And those things kind of evolve over time. So I think when you're creating a personal brand, one, do it out of like a genuine interest to teach others. Mm -hmm. 
and just admit when you're wrong because I mm -hmm. think so many people uh, get so rigid or yeah. they almost get nervous to post because they're like, ah, oh, so-and-so might say I'm wrong. I'm like, so-and-so's not even thinking about you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think, you know what? I don't think you even need to admit when you're wrong as in creating content is a constant stream of just thoughts, I suppose. So not that you don't have to admit like on a post if someone says you're wrong because of these reasons <laughs> and they're right that you're wrong, then like you can admit that you're wrong. But yeah, you don't have to, you don't have to like start a new post with the thing of like, oh, I was wrong before. Oh, no, no, yeah. It's just like, <laughs> here's what I think now. That would you be, know? that would be the, like, that would be such a righteous person. Yeah. Hey guys, just letting you know, August 13th, 2016. Yeah. But no, there is a lot of that. <laughs> there, there is, is a shit ton of oh, that. Yeah, man. I was wrong about X, Y, and Z. Uh, which, they, them posts do pretty well. But so, some people do it tastefully and some people don't do it tastefully. I do think those posts can do it really well. It's like, hey, this is what I used to think. But yeah. like, I just recently read this research paper and this is like yeah. a really strong consideration. Because I think part of the process, like when you're creating content is just document the, the journey of like getting better, yeah. being better, and then like memes. Mm -hmm. throw some memes in yeah. <laughs> I don't post too many memes because I don't know. Meme pages kind of annoy me, but I also love memes. But no, I no actually meme pages that just post memes. Actually, no, it's not even that they're posting memes. It's just that they're constantly shitting on everyone. That's that annoys me, and they have nothing else to offer. Like it's always like this person's an idiot, that person's an idiot. Not like I think this is a better way. It's always like they're just stupid. That that annoys me. And I, I there's like it's really hard to do well as a brand when your your whole content is just negative. Yeah. Cause you almost should just attract negative people. Yeah. But they're not doing it for their brand. They think or sorry, they are doing it for their brand, but they don't realize that it's a terrible way to do things because who are you going to attract? Negative dickheads basically all of the time. <laughs> terrible people to attract. You'll see now on in our workshop over the weekend. Basically, everyone is just fucking cool because dickheads don't come. Yeah, because they wouldn't like our content in the first place. So yeah, that's that's a key point. Like you want to post in a way that attracts the people that would like your posts. <laughs> and what you you know post in a way where you, you are naturally gonna if you're authentic on social and whatever you do, you're naturally mm -hmm. gonna have people that gravitate towards that and be energized by that, right? Like you don't want to have to put on some sort of facade or be someone else that you're not. That's why, you know, haven't tried twerking on TikTok or doing any of these kind of things. Like that's just, I'm not good at twerking, but what, what am I, you know, you're going to go viral for the wrong reasons. Yeah. And people, I think, get really, really tired on being on socials because they're trying to be somebody else. 100%. They're trying to sound so freaking smart. You know, sometimes I'm just like, you see this glute, it doesn't lengthen. That's why I did this exercise. And mm -hmm. some people want to break down like so much intricacies. Like, I think you do it really good sometimes, like rib things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It depends on the day. I'm just like, yeah, this is whatever, you know. And and you can you do have the ability to go deeper if you want to go deeper, but you don't always have to be the smartest. Yeah. Just, yeah, I like that. But uh, So what are the drawbacks of building a personal brand as opposed to starting with calling something like moment you know what I mean? So like you, maybe you didn't, maybe you didn't have too many drawbacks because you were able to hire a couple of people or was everyone looking to like work with you from the beginning? Yeah. With, 
I, I think drawbacks, like as long as there's like a strong story behind a brand name, I think it's really solid. But the overwhelming amount of people right now in the world, they don't necessarily do, you know, they don't consume brands. They consume people. athletes and people yeah. that represent brands. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, that's like that's like the gateway drug, right? You get to know the athletes that represent the brands. You take a deeper dive into their brand and see what they represent. Mm -hmm. And that's your job as like an entrepreneur, creator, whatever it is that you're doing to show people what you're standing for. Like for us, like with Moment, I, I tell the story. It's like the reason I came up with Moment was because I was going to leave physical therapy to start brewing beer. Like I was at a point where I was like, man, I was working for someone else at that time. I was like, I don't see myself... I don't want to say getting wealthy, but it's like, I'm not happy right now. I'm not making the money I want to make. If I brew beer, like, I think I could do this. <laughs> you know, we brewed beer. And the, my whole idea was like, hey, if I name this company Moment Brewing Company, I'm going to have a beer for every single occasion. So that when you go to the supermarket, yeah, yeah. like, you know, what beer should I get? It's like, <clears throat> um, like it. yeah, I've got 50 notes I have to fucking do double IPA. Like, that's going to be a strong IPA. And I need that because it's been a long day at work. Yeah. So I brewed my first beer. It was like a six percent IPA, and I named it Submax Single IPA. You know, it's like just to play on words on like RPE. But moment for me, it's like I took that name and I was like, all right, what moment represents is the fact that like there are moments in life where you start to feel more capable, where you start to feel like, oh, I can do this. I can take this next step. And then we want to be able to provide those moments, whether it's for people in pain mm -hmm. or whether it's for people that are just burnt out clinicians, like through our educational side. So it's like conveying yourself as a personal brand, I think is really solid. And then when you decide to like ultimately pick something, tell people why you're picking it. What's yeah. the origin story behind those things? Yeah. I'm so bad at naming. I'm terrible. So bad. Like... I'm so literal with Nate. I have zero creativity. So like our brand is David Gray Rehab. <laughs> so, <laughs> which is just a name I picked on Instagram, whatever, five years ago, six years ago. And you'll see all the exercises over the weekend, like a foam roller bridge. It's just like, say what you see. That's it. And I, <laughs> and I have been trying to, not trying to, but thinking about, you know, what, what brand I could make under me that was separate to me, but I just can't, the name, I see it feels like I'm stuck on the name and it actually feels like even the re one of the reasons why I haven't started a mentorship yet is because I'm stuck on the name, which is a shit reason not to do it. <laughs> but I'm like, if I start this call as like just David Gray rehab mentorship, then I'm kind of the only one that can ever teach it. Ish. Ish, but you there's a couple of good things about it, right? It's like people that work under you, let's say in the future, like, you know, you can't do these things forever on your own. You have to build a team. It's like the brand name is one thing, but having like your name behind it, it's like, it goes back to like reputation. Like, do you really, you know, when someone's like, oh, you sure I can learn from this person? Like, do you really think I would hire someone yeah. to represent my name? Yeah. Like, I don't think so, you know? Yeah. And it, it always puts you at the face of stuff. So like when it does become a thing where it's like, oh, David will be here. It's like, I get to meet David Grave Rehab. I've been getting rehabbed or mentored by someone that represented him, but now I get to meet, yeah. you know, yeah. Me, imagine meeting a Ralph Lauren, you know, like, yeah. I don't even know what the guy looks yeah. like. I wear his jumpers when I used yeah. to. Um, yeah, I fought so hard. So I, I had a call with a business coach, which I actually haven't had any business coach or mentor, but 
a, me- a sh- mentor, I should say. I've had many like coaches that I would listen to their podcasts or like buy the odd little thing. But I haven't had, yeah, so I had a call with a business coach in, who is, mostly was in the industry. And he told me to get away from the personal brand. This was more than maybe two years ago. He was like, you need to like distance yourself from that as soon as possible. And I spent 12 months on Instagram and in general tr- fighting against that, which some other people might n- probably didn't notice it, but I was always, every post I was doing, it was like trying to not be me in it as much. It was more like, I don't know, some kind of company or something that I was trying to represent, which was just stupid. But when I then probably 12, probably 18 months ago, I leaned back into the personal brand again. And I just spoke more about just my life in general. It was like, this is me. This is my dog. This is Kira. This is everything to do with me. And our revenue like doubled in months, actually (laughs) doubled and then doubled again. Just because I think I was just like, yeah, this is me. And anything else, if you look at like Conor McGregor or something like that, he doesn't represent brands really anymore. He owns the brands, like the whiskey brand, and he is still Conor McGregor. And then he still has a whiskey underneath that. That's how people are making money now. Same with The Rock, same with the Kardashians. They release their own shit. And I, yeah, more so exactly what you're doing. You have your, you still have your own name, but you can still have your own brand under that. That is separate to you, but is still a big part of you. So, yeah, that would be my advice to someone asking thoughts on personal brand and like, should I build a personal brand? I think it would be very hard now to make a name on social media, especially in this industry, with a brand name, not your own name. Yeah, I think you'd really struggle. Uh, and I think if you build your personal brand, you would probably, you would probably be able to launch another company or brand under that much quicker than doing it the other way around. No, I, I agree. If you think about like what you can share as an individual versus what you can share as a a company, yeah. as an individual, all of your struggles are very relatable. So people resonate with that. Yeah. They 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 see it. It's like, oh, this person's human. This person makes mistakes. This person goes through adversity you find this common ground, but like as a brand, what are you going to do? Our revenue is down. Like yeah. <laughs> you can't really yeah. communicate because there's no like real emotion or anything really mm-hmm. behind a brand. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's things that it represents, but like it, a brand isn't necessarily taking action. People within the brand are taking action. Yeah. But uh, I, I agree. I, part of social media, I think that what makes it great is like, you can really get to know someone. Like this is our first time meeting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know your dog's name. I know your wife's name. Know that she's pregnant, so it's cool. It's cool because like you kind of get a glimpse of each other's life, but it's not like a full-on thing. But yeah. you, you, well, you can choose how much you want to share. Like, yeah, yeah. But even even huge brands, if you think about it, and I didn't think about it this way before. But even Apple had Steve Jobs, which was like actually a better example is Zuckerberg with Facebook slash Meta. Their name got dragged through the mud meta's name because people didn't like zuckerberg after that social network movie came out everyone hated him and he just wasn't a likable person and now he's like starting to show himself doing jujitsu or mma (laughs) and like just talking on videos now he still looks like a 
robot or a lizard or something. He's but an android for sure. I really like him. I really like I'm like a Zuck guy for several reasons, which I don't need to go into. But now it seems like pe- people are starting to resonate a little bit more with that whole brand again, just because they like him again. It just shows like how much people make decisions based on something that it shouldn't matter if you like Zuckerberg or not, if you enjoy his products, but it does matter. No, for sure. There's, there's so much to like, I think in this day and age, we're so like disconnected and you just find yourself swiping. So like when you finally consume someone's content and you're getting to, it's almost like you're getting to know someone, yeah. you feel some sort of connection to that person. It's like, of course I'm going to do whatever. Like if that guy releases something, like I'm going to do it. Like I've already, I can see like, you know, there's certain people you meet on Instagram. Like I can tell I'll probably get along with them. Mm-hmm. Like I can see what he's like in person mm-hmm. and there's like a match you know, you, you built this like reputation. You're just more gravitated towards that. I just can't explain it. I, I, I don't, I, it's going to be way too hard to just build a brand without a person. Yeah, I think so too. Um, why did your personal brand work so well? Why did, if you could try and put your finger on it, why did when you put up that contact form, or obviously you had built up clout over time, but why were your books full so quickly? What did people see in you that said, he's my guy? Yeah, I have, um, I've tried everything under the sun, right? You know, like I've had a LinkedIn coach. I don't even know people to have LinkedIn coaches. I didn't even think it was going to work. Um, but she was charging me a thousand a month. And I was like, listen. <laughs> when was this? This is like when I first got started. Yeah. I was like, she's charging me a thousand a month. If I have one lead convert through LinkedIn, it's going to pay itself off. It'll mm-hmm. be uh, net neutral. And I'll have gotten more exposure. So I'm all good with that. Three months later, nothing happened. <laughs> so we let it go. But I got one really good thing um, out of it. Because I was like, hey, like, when do I start to share like my expertise of like, this is what you do when you have like upper back related things. This is what you can do if you have hip related things. You know, can, when do we start to talk about like my actual expertise? And she's like, Andy, no one actually cares about that. <laughs> you know, they want it, They care about your views on life, on business on your, your perspectives on like more important topics and you're going to remain top of mind. And when they look for a physical therapist, they've already respected your views. They resonate with your thoughts. They can be like, oh, Andy's a physical therapist. I'll work with him. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot now where like I just share stuff because I know that certain people will resonate with it. Do I have to share every single book I read? No. Mm-hmm. But I know that like Bob in the accounting department, he's having pain Bob's a reader himself. He's trying to climb up the corporate ladder and he's always trying to better himself. He's like, yeah, this physical therapist reads This guy reads. <laughs> yeah, like, this guy reads. Like, he's trying to better himself. He's just like me. I'm mm-hmm. going to go see him. Mm-hmm. So there's like a human aspect of it where it's like, I've documented the process since I was in uh, physical therapy school. So there's people that joined a mentorship and in the first week, we kind of just talk about like, hey, why do you want to join a mentorship? What are you looking to get out of it? Like, I'm trying to join a mentorship because I followed you literally from being a student to working for someone else, to building a business, to building an educational platform and be successful throughout this whole process. And I'm just like, it's inspiring. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you share everything along the way. And I think those are the things that made it easier for people to pull the trigger. Yeah. Also the job that I, I always joke is the job that I was at before was, it was my dream job. You know, like I love the facility. Uh, my boss was awesome, invested in us a ton. And they're really good clinicians. So I think part of it was like when I quit, people are like, 
wow, this guy's dumb enough to quit that job. Yeah. He's got to be good. Yeah. Let's see, let's see what he can do. Yeah. Yeah. You've had a pair of balls on you to <laughs> yeah. actually leave. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's really interesting. Um, I think sharing a lot is key in different points. But do you think that, I know she was probably right about that, sharing your perspectives on all these different things. But at the same time, do you think now that you're on the education side of things, people do care more about your skill set? Because to attract clients, they care about their, your skill set. They just don't have any way to evaluate if it's good or not. <laughs> You know, you, you will attract clients if you're just like, hey, come in and I'll fix your pain, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but now you have to actually communicate your skill set a little bit better, I think. Yeah, there's a, I think about it like this, like content, I kind of break it up into brackets. When I'm on it, you know, the past month getting married, honeymoon, all this stuff happening, it's like, I just like, I, I, I don't want to do social right now. Like, I just want to, I only have this moment in my life once, ideally. <laughs> you don't get married more than once, yeah moment again yeah but i was like normally content wise like 60 percent of content is just stuff that you're putting out there and you're looking for it to hit right there's not necessarily informational stuff it's just like more viral things and you're kind of saying what everyone else is saying in a different way so that people people that share your story it's like oh when david says something about pronation or internal rotation at the ribs I also believe in that so i share it so that i can look like an authority as well mm -hmm. those posts go viral mm -hmm. That's like 60% of your, your content. And 30% of your content is like, hey, this is internal rotation at ribcage, but this is my thought process on how to restore it. This is like my reasoning. This yeah. is unique to my skill set. Yeah. You know, the 60%, anyone can post that thing. The 30% yeah. is uniquely you. Yeah. And then that last 10%, it's like, oh, by the way, I teach ribcage stuff, but I'm also a human. This is my dog. Mm -hmm. And now you've got this funnel of like viral content then you're showing your expertise, then you're showing your human. And mm. I think that's how I've been approaching it. Mm. Maybe my numbers are skewed. I would say I'm like 90%, this is my thought process. 10% Roxy. And then 9% <laughs> Roxy and 1% like that viral thing where other people might share, even though people share anyway. But yeah, I've realized recently that we have more of a, e-commerce brand sorry we have pa part of our business is e-commerce which is selling programs and that is a pressure that is pressure because i have to like when i put up a post i can check by the hour actually like i have a even now when we're talking like i feel like i want to open stripe and see how many programs <laughs> we've sold yeah. uh and not many people that have... Lunch is on you, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> You're the one talking about how many mentorships he's owned. Uh, that's a much higher ticket offer. Um, but I will buy you lunch. Uh, <laughs> um, so when I put up a post, I can actually measure very clearly how good that post was based on sales that day. So I have like a different... I'm just measuring by sales every single day, uh, which puts pressure on me a lot of pressure but it forces me to make sure my posts are really good every day <laughs> <laughs> that you, i think you do a good job of like you know the way you cut stuff the way you explain like other professional athletes and like you're mixing it up it doesn't always look the same mm -hmm. but i <laughs> when you hit launch for the mentorship you know like every quarter 
Like I wake up that morning and I'm like, yes, <laughs> holy shit. <laughs> like, all right. Like, you know, it's, it's either like we're going to be good or like, it's like crickets. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's terrifying. So it's like, there's but, a lot of, but it's always going to be good. I don't know. I see. It's like, I don't want to be, it like, always has been so far. It's always, it always has been so far, but there are things that you do leading up to it to like almost ensure that, you know, these things are yeah. hitting. And it, it's always like at the end of the day, you know, like when people are like, hey, can you help me get better at sales? I'm like, getting better at sales starts with being a really good clinician. Yeah. Making sure that mentorship sells out. It really starts by making sure everyone that, in, that is in their mentorship gets the outcome that they're looking for. Yeah. And everything else will take care of itself. Mm-hmm. But there is a ton of pressure. Like mm-hmm. there's, I don't know what it's like to play in a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it's close to hitting launch on the <laughs> on Kajabi. Like it's got to be close to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe it depends. <laughs> but like, yeah, I think the difference with, difference with the Super Bowl is there's millions of people watching. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Versus when you hit launch, it's just like it's you, know, you and your like, bank account. <laughs> <laughs> but there's like uh, things that you can do, and I think you do a good job of it, right? It's like showing sh- social proof that your stuff is working. Mm-hmm. Like after every single quarter, we collect, um, you know, testimonials. And I had just have a page right now. 50% of people that have done our um, mentorship will fill it out. And it's just like, boom. Testimonials, like, yeah. You can look at that page and scroll down. It's like, okay, there's undeniable proof that this is like working. Yeah. So like, those are the things I think eventually matter. It's like, you have the captions where someone's like, you know, I haven't been able to do anything until this Achilles program. Mm-hmm. I haven't been able to do anything until mm-hmm. the lower body stuff. So Having that, I don't. I don't think people have enough social proof. No, undeniable proof. Yeah, that's why uh, uh, people ask me all the time, like, "Oh, do all these pe- do these people like troll you or come at you on Instagram about your thought process?" And I'm like, almost never, almost never. I've been posting for five years. So many people get shit over what they say, and I'm semi controversial. So like, I have strong enough opinions that are subject to change all the time. Um, on a minute to minute basis sometimes, but no one hardly ever comes at me. And I don't, I think it's just because there's so much proof that it works really well. I can't figure out why it would be any other reason. I also don't go at too many other people. So like, I'm not trying to attract that, but undeniable proof is like your number one thing you got to build. Yeah. There's like text messages, Google reviews, whatever it is, like it, you know, people can say like, oh, this stuff doesn't matter. You know, you're so intricate with the foot. I'm like, I literally just had someone I could barely run for a quarter of a mile. And we just ramped up their mileage back to 30 within a few weeks. Yeah. You know, what else? Calf raises didn't get there. You know, yeah. it's part of the program because we're just taking a complete approach. But like we tailored some of the foot biomechanics to make sure that things were moving well. Exactly. So it's like. You, you can say whatever you want. It's really not going to change my opinion. And that's kind of the approach I take. If someone does get kind of like, you can kind of sense it. I'm like, listen, I'm just going to keep egging you on because it's good for the algorithm. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't really take it seriously. You know, when these like aggressive con ed companies come at you, it's like, whoa, yeah. that thing can't pronate. Or, oh, look at you just in this sagittal plane. You're not doing all these functional movements. I'm like, dog, mm-hmm. relax. Yeah. You're literally living in your mom's basement. You don't have a business. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> exactly. No, undeniable proof. That guy I mentioned earlier that with the, we kept getting that lateral calf, perineal, so he, like, he came to us with, uh, in March, I think it was, and he was after going through years, five years of calf raise protocols from the best quote unquote clinics in Ireland, where they have every measurement, every isokinetic test, every, everything. 
And I just spoke about we were doing breathing and footwork. And in June, I think it was, he ran, he did a triathlon, an Ironman, uh, a triathlon and two Ironmans. And <laughs> so like, please tell me what I'm doing isn't working uh, because... I have undeniable proof from, and they have thousands and thousands of people that will say, yes, it is. So we can argue about the mechanisms of why it's working and why it's not. And I'm always open to, I'm always careful enough to say like, this is the exact reason why it improved. I don't know. And we do take a, like you said there, a rounded approach to, it's like, oh, it looks like them ribs aren't moving at all. Looks like you can't move that foot. Looks like you're also not strong in these areas, blah, blah, blah. So I take a rounded approach and I don't try and nail my colors to the mast on one mechanism. But more often than not, the shit works. Oh, <laughs> Something yeah. is working. You, you're just looking at it. It's like, okay, the ribs don't move and I get them to move. Maybe that's like 15% of the cure. Another thing is like the foot's not pronating at all. The heel doesn't move at all. Maybe that's another 10%. Oh man, since none of that side's actually working, the other side. The other side is like being overloaded. So like, okay, let's address the work management, the load management on our program as well. That's yeah. another 10%. So it's like you're capturing all these little bits and now you get a full plan of care. Whereas like sometimes, you know, people, pe woke uh, PTs would be like, oh yeah, when people say it's uh, your back pain is because your hamstrings are tight, ha, ha, ha. And like sometimes people would just say your back pain is there because your ribs don't move. I'm like, that's still incomplete yeah. because when the ribs don't move, top down you're going to influence what you're saying the same thing you're yeah. picking on one thing and it's just picking on one thing and yeah. the fact that the ribs don't move changes moving patterns globally so yeah. it's like there's so many other things you got to look at yeah 100 percent uh what's next for the brand brands right now it's like i'm trying to get back my focus yeah so like i i took my phone right now has no social media apps um i can't I, do that e-commerce yeah but <laughs> i have an ipad now so like i i use everything on, uh, oh wait, you're talking about you? No, I'm talking about no. Go on, your your focus. Go on. No, I'm just looking at the other questions. <laughs> but um, no, so I, I now strictly use my computer or my iPad for social media. Yeah. The main problem I was having is like I would take out my phone and I would just look at it for the sake of looking at it. It wasn't anything productive. Yeah. And for me right now, I have way too many things I want to get better at, things I want to learn, another language, like. I just find that I'm wasting a lot of time on social media. The juice isn't worth the squeeze. It's yeah. definitely worth the squeeze in regards to getting the, you know, the clinic going, get the educational stuff going. But now I'm doing extra stuff on social media that there's really nothing there. I'm just yeah. mindlessly browsing. Yeah. So it's like I've tried to limit myself on um, the timer, but it's like it's so easy to go 15 more minutes. <laughs> you know, it's, you just there's not much yourself, to, like constantly. There's, <laughs> there's no national security there. It's like yeah. yep, 15 more minutes. We're good to go. <laughs> and then I tried grayscale. But now that we're managing a whole team, every team's got their own color. And Grayscale worked until I mixed up the colors because everything is in gray. So I didn't know who was where or what people needed to do. So that didn't work. And mm -hmm. I was like, I tried to go like a flip phone route. But I still need ways. I still need like Uber Eats. I yeah. still need to like yeah. check my email now. You just need a good functioning phone without social media. So I just deleted all of it from mm -hmm. my phone. And now like I'll get to work. I'll post on social. I'm refining that process a little bit more. But I knew if I kept going down that route of like looking at my phone constantly, going to be way less productive, won't be present, you know, for yeah, it's kind of a shit life. Christy, yeah, yeah. and you know, I can only see that bleeding into everything else. And when you think about like how finite stuff is, it's like let's try to maximize like yeah. being in person. 
yeah, I feel like I've been, so Kira's due in March and I feel like I've been literally waiting for March. Like my whole life has been, everything has been framed with like, I'll just do this today and the next day and the next day. And then life will start like now in March when the baby comes, <laughs> Hope, fingers crossed. Uh, and then I realized like, what a shit way to look at things. Like I'm in New York now and I'm like, oh, well, we just have to get New York over with and then Washington and then our workshop in Italy and then Christmas and then New Year's <laughs> and then like, then March comes. Yeah. So it's the same with social media, which is like, I just have to get a post on every single day, blah, blah, blah. And like when I hit some kind of imaginary number or goal that I've set, like then life begins such a shit way to be it's just the <laughs> quickest way to be miserable there's so much like i just when i think about it and you know it's so corny sometimes because people are like hey you wake up in the morning do your gratitude journal and you think about how great life is and like you can't do that stuff but it's like, when you like take a step back and i'm i'm not sure if you do this but it's like sometimes when i'm on a plane traveling to go teach or to go do something i'm looking at a plane i'm like i just can't believe people are going to pay attention to what i'm about to say this weekend yeah. you know like this is crazy yeah like what we've built so it's like it's easy for me now to like give stuff to charity like every single quarter we donate to charity we're going to try to build a school in a couple of years nice, with huh? the money but it's like to your point it's like okay i just gotta get i just gotta launch this quarter okay i gotta i gotta sell out this yeah. course and there's just so much pressure where it's like yeah if you just zoom out it's like even if five people show up to this course like yeah i'm oh. grateful like this is in a few years ago you would have taken that all day long yeah. you know I, I actually have a very vivid memory when me and Kira moved back from Australia and we were both working for my brother's gymnastics gym as gymnastics coaches not getting much pay at all it was just a very casual job but I knew I'm not going back to an office like this is this is because yeah. I could start to see some clients then in the gymnastics gym and just working from there but like we were doing some mats where I was like okay if we make whatever it was, it must be like, I don't know, a few hundred bucks a month each. Like we're, this is enough to pay because we were living at home and we were, and then like now I, I probably made that in the time I'm talking to you here, but, <laughs> and, but like, it's just the goalposts constantly move. It's the same with a workshop. Like I just, we just sold a work, a work we're going to teach a sold out workshop in New York city. If you told me that a few years ago, I would be like, what the fuck, <laughs> you know? And, and, but now that I'm here, I'm like, no, not now, but I could easily be like, yeah, it's just another, I just need to get this over with, which is such a shit mindset. No, it's, it's even like going back, like most people don't know. It's like, I've was in academic probation twice in college. I applied to 20 physical therapy schools, got into none. When I finally got accepted when I was like, this is it. Like this is life starts now. <laughs> right. And then, then, you know, you get into physical therapy school and things keep moving along. And it's just crazy. You know, people think that these things happen overnight, program sales, but I've opened up a Zoom room for a group class and zero people showed up, yeah. <laughs> you know? And I've also had a group class where, you know, we had like five people in it and I fell while demonstrating an exercise. <laughs> I just got back up and I just kept doing it. And you got a nosebleed. <laughs> you got a nosebleed. <laughs> but there's so much, and you, sometimes you kind of miss those things, right? Where it's like, you're just striving for stuff and like getting better and like mm -hmm. tinkering with things. Mm -hmm. but. Yeah, moving the goalposts constantly, it, get, it gets really tough. Yeah. Like selling out quarters, I have to zoom out. And I'm like, holy crap, yeah. that's a massive, like huge accomplishment. Yeah. Like if you, if you are selling out 30 people or whatever, 
100 people, 200 people a year in your mentorship, that's 200 people who have like put up their hand and said, yeah, you're my guy. Like I'm going to come in. Now they might be learning from other people as well, but like for this period, I'm going to pay you money that is very valuable at this stage of my life. Probably I really need this money and I'm happy to like give it to you. So you teach me and you're going to shape the rest of my career potentially. It's a big deal. That's why when people are like, you know, thank you so much for like staying a little bit after the call to answer questions. I'm like, what else would I do? (laughs) You guys trusted me with this. Like, it's like, I'm like, my only goal is to make sure that you feel like you got everything you could out of the mentorship. You feel supported. You feel like you leveled up. And if I have to stay 30 minutes, 45 minutes, sometimes I stay an hour after the call to answer questions. I'm like, that's the goal. You know, it's like, it's not, the money will come if I just focus on delivering value. And that's Mm -hmm. what I focus on. Do you teach much? Uh, do you talk much about the business side of things in the mentorship? I talk about it a little bit. Um, you know, I, I I I talk about the principles of it, like yeah. what you have to do. You know, when it comes to business, it's like, you know, it's like the sell me this pen. People are like, oh, let me sell you this pen. It's got great features. It's extra fine point. But like a principle of business is like you have to understand what the other person's needs and wants are first before you sell anything because mm-hmm. you need to make sure that you're fit to deliver those services. Yeah. So it's like I'm teaching things like that. Then I give some examples of like scripts of like how I structure a discovery call, how I like, you know, recap a session. And there's tips along the way, but I don't take a deep dive. Mm-hmm. I'm getting into business coaching right now. Yeah. And I'm coaching um, five uh, physiotherapists, but I haven't opened it up yet because I need to make sure that I do a damn good job before yeah. I let everyone else, that the floodgates open. Yeah, you're teaching like, tactics in the mentorship which the tactics are relatively easy like i I see so many people teaching just just teaching tactics which is like oh write this in your instagram bio or you know here's your posting schedule but what people really need is like the overall strategy of this is how you build a business like based off of based off of it's not an algorithm of content or whatever it's you being amazing at your job and going from there so the overall strategy of like just delivering a shit ton of value to people and it will come back to you versus it's so easy to sell so many tactics to people but if they don't have it like if they don't have that kind of charisma or special sauce the tactics won't work anyway like you can put whatever you want in your bio. If your if your content is shit, it's not going to work. Like no, I know it's like I I see it. You work with people in their thirties and forties, and you help them get out of you know like those. I, I think all those things are still important. Oh, they're important. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But not the most important. Yeah, like if you're not good at what you do, yeah, like just forget about it. Yeah, like you're better off switching professions. You're better off finding something else that you thoroughly enjoy. Like I get, you know, I'll have. I stack certain days so that I can have other days off as admin days and work from home. Like my Wednesdays, I'm like 13 hours back to back and then I'll end the day with a mentorship call and I'm pumped to be on that call. Like yeah. I'm excited. And like, that's where you need to be at. It's like, you enjoy what you do. You're enjoying learning. That's what you need to chase. Yeah. Too many people are just doing things because they think it's going to yield money. You know, I see so many physical therapists that as they transition to be an entrepreneur, entrepreneur they pick up golfing because they're like oh golfers have money i'll start selling the golfers <laughs> like how many like and instead you just end up playing golf and hating fucking golf yeah, you hate golf and you <laughs> suck at your job it's like you should just focus on being a good physical therapist because we work with everyone you know we've got football players we've got marathon ultra ultra endurance athletes stay-at-home moms like i'll 
it doesn't matter to me. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter if you're a male in their forties or fifties trying to regain their athleticism. Like I can help anyone. I've mm -hmm. worked with someone as young as eight, as old as 104. So, and we've done everything from weekend warriors to professional sports. And I, I think when you think about your skill set and what you're capable of doing, you don't have to narrow yourself. I think niches are still super important, yeah. but there's people that like do it too much where now you're only speaking to like 10 people. That's <laughs> tactics versus strategies. Yeah. Like you, that's the, that they're the people that then have the, the niche is fine, but they have the certain tactics that can help this very niche group of people versus having an overall the strategy in your mind of like, this is how I view movement. And I can just pick whatever the hell I want. Like I said about the breathing earlier, like you might have the tactics of, okay, get them to exhale this way, inhale this way. What if that person doesn't need that? You need to have the strategy of understanding movement as a whole. So that's why I'm big on tactics versus strategies all the time. I always think in that way. Art of war, baby. Yeah, exactly. The, uh, we, we've been a part of- Art of war of art. A war of art? No, oh, the art of war. Yeah. That's, the, that's what you're talking about. But the about. war of art's also good. Yeah. Stephen Prescia, the, uh, we've been a part of almost 10 different business groups, right? And not a single one has audited clinical skills. So we won an award for one of the business groups we're in. We're the fastest growing practice yeah. to hit this. These mile. are physical therapy business groups. Yeah. yeah. We were the fastest growing practice that hit this specific milestone. And we did it twice as fast as any other um, companies. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you get that award, you give a speech and everyone's like, holy crap. And then you go to happy hour after. Yeah. Everyone's like, what do you do? What did you do? Yeah. How do you sell other workshops? How yeah. do you do stuff like that? I'm like, it, it's clinical. Yeah. It's like, so like, you know, what's your pitch in the phone? I'm like, I just know what I'm capable of. And if I think I can help them, ask them to come in. Yeah. And people are like, there's got to be something. Come yeah. on, give me something. And I'm like, keep attending courses, keep reading books, yeah. keep applying things, yeah. keep refining your product. Yeah. And they just looked at me like, "That's there's got to be a different answer. Yeah, but your pitch is better than those theirs as well. Even if you said the same words, because you're actually confident in your ability and people can tell that versus having a pitch, a script that you're reading off or that you've learned off and trying to be a really good salesperson. But actually... You just know deep down, I'm shit at my job. <laughs> and like, even if I get this person to come in, I'm not going to be able to help them. That, that pitch is never going to work that well. I think there's true imposter syndrome, right? Where people, you know, keep trying to learn, keep building. And they're like still nervous to sell. Yeah. And then oh yeah, 100%. And yeah. then there's like imposter syndrome. Like, dude, you haven't even put in work. Yeah. You are an imposter. You're shit. <laughs> yeah, you're yeah. definitely an imposter. Yeah, you're shit. Yeah, 100%. Uh, so last question, how do I... We are going to, so we actually just went, um, we agreed a lease for a premises there where we have to leave our current premises, which is my fucking dad's stables that we, what's that? It's a Listerine. Oh, nice. You hit three hits and you take a deep breath. You have to do three. Is though. this going to clear my nose as well? It's going to clear your nose. How do I take a hit? Right there. Yep. Yep. Three. Uh, and then? Yeah, you're done. You're done. Oh, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah, so we have this in the clinic because, you know, if you drink coffee and you try to talk to a patient, it's not happening. Where do you get them? Shop. Amazon. Shop. Amazon. Okay. Yeah. I need that for workshops. Yeah. <laughs> um, what was I saying before I took a hit? You took <laughs> the a most, hit. <laughs> you the it. most white boy hit in history. Yeah. <laughs> um, what was I saying? saying oh, we, oh, so we just went, uh, we signed a lease. Well, we're about to sign at least probably today on a premises because um, I have to leave my stables that we converted. And now we have to build a team. So it's me and Kira. And then we have Alice and Chris who are 
like contractors for us, let's say, but they're very close to us, like really important, big parts of our business, but they also have their other things going on on the side as well. So we are now figuring out, like, I, I think the next logical, not lo- actually, I won't say logical. It's not the next necessarily next logical step, but the next step that will make me like really enjoy things is really trying to build a good team around us. So how do I do that? What should be, what should I be looking for? What and what advice do you have on who to hire first? Because you have admin and you have clinical. Yeah. One, I don't have all the answers. I know you don't, but <laughs> you know, like, I, I think I've made some mistakes and there's things that I can I could do better. The one thing, it's always gonna be the recency bias. So right now, the one thing I'm focused on is just being a better leader. You know, I I think I've always treated our employees right and I always done right by them, but I could do a better job of leading people towards a specific mission. Like why do we even exist? Right? If your reason to exist is because you're just trying to make money, it's just not a good enough reason. It's not going to get your employees or your team out of bed. Like for us, we know what the, the landscape right now is for a physical therapist. You're going to graduate from school. You're going to work at a clinic and they're going to make you see four patients in the hour. You'll maybe have 25 to 40 patients in a day. You have to do other documentations. You're fucking miserable and you regret getting your degree. And to me, like that fucking hurts Yeah, because I love what I do. You know, like I love being a physical therapist. I love getting people back to doing the things they love. I think it's the most rewarding job in the world, but I know there's so many people out there suffering. So like our mission statement right now is to improve the human experience, whether that's for the clinician or our team or the person that's walking through our door in pain. Cause I know if we take care of the clinicians, they'll take care of the mm-hmm. patient. So that's like our overarching theme of like why we exist as a company. And my goal as a, you know, entrepreneur, as a leader, is that we're always going to face some sort of adversity mm-hmm. and we got to go back to our North Star. Like, why the hell are we doing this? Why am I even sticking with you? It's because the people that are on our team right now, they've worked at a lot of jobs. They know what it's like to not have, you know, time in your week to spend with loved ones, to be exhausted with, um, you know, work. To be like, hey, I'm going to mentor you. And then they meet with their mentor and the mentor just talks about productivity levels opposed to like actual things that are going to help their patients. So I think they feel the pain and they want to provide that relief for others. So like initially it's having like a thought process, like why do you exist? You know, maybe for you, it's like, I want to really, when, when people think of physical therapy and rehab, they think of us, like we're holding it to the highest standard and that's why we exist so that we can show people what's possible. But whatever it is that you're doing, you have to come back to something. And, you, and then people will gravitate towards that mission. Mm-hmm. Do you hire people that have come through your mentorship? Now I will. Yeah. The, the interviewing process, depending on where you're at, like if I put up a, a job listing in Indeed and I show people like, you know, our pay is very competitive. It's like the top 1%. I've done my due diligence. I've looked at everything. I want to make sure if we're hiring the best, we pay them the best. If I put that on a, a job listing site, we're going to, get so many emails that it'd be really, really tough. So for us right now, um, the two uh, physical therapists on our team came through the mentorship and I've built a relationship with them throughout that mentorship. So I understand- That's a good interview process. It's a phenomenal interview (laughs) process. And you can see like certain people that are like, you know, 
a lot of the people in our mentorship are entrepreneurs already. So they just want to get better. They want to be able to do sales more. Yeah. Um, and then there's people that are trainers and then there's like physical therapy students and there's a uh, new grad physical therapists. And you can just kind of see when someone will do well, right? In your, uh, in your clinic, in your model, in your practice. And now it's like, I can kind of see someone will, will get along with the people on our team. Yeah. And I think about it like this. I want people with same values, but different skill sets. Yeah. You know, it's the 80, 20 rule. The mentorship lets me know that 80% of what we do is very similar, but a 20% yeah. is different. So you might see something differently, but in the grand scheme of things, it's like, I don't want someone coming in thinking they know everything. It's yeah. like, Hey, back pain, rib cage, no move yeah. foot pain. Don't pronate. Like you got to yeah. think broader. Yeah. I think you'll see it this weekend as well. That, uh, if you like fast forward into a year's time, let's say, and you think back of I, I, about this workshop that that we're doing this weekend, or at least I will, you probably will forget about it altogether. But the people <laughs> that stand out will be from this workshop, not necessarily smartest person or anything like that. It will just be pure enthusiasm, and that doesn't mean like the person who asks the most quest, most questions or anything. But you just see an enthusiastic person. And you're probably seeing that in your mentorship as well, which is like, I can, mo if you have some level of intelligence and you're not a dickhead, then <laughs> like the next, the, the biggest thing by far, if you can tick those two boxes is, and if they're, if they're already a physical therapist, they have some level of intelligence and also hopefully they're not a dickhead, which all, which isn't always the case, actually, <laughs> a lot of the time, not necessarily, but there's a certain level of enthusiasm that you just can't replace. So I love when I see someone that's enthusiastic, I'll just be, I'm just like, yeah, I'll take you. You, you can, you know, when you, when you're teaching, there's going to be certain segments, I'm sure where you hit something and you kind of look for a response and you see like some people are like, oh yeah, like cool. And then you see someone like eyes laid up, like it's yeah. Christmas. It's like, that guy that loves guy, this shit. Yeah, like, loves it. Yeah, yeah. Enthusiasm is key in everything. I'm just always looking for enthusiasm but I, I go now it's culture fit it's like how you know our process is like go through the mentorship we get to know you over those period of time you have like a rudimentary interview with me then you have it with christy yeah. you come in to shadow me afterwards if christy says you're good to go after you shadow me you work with our pt staff like you shadow them i'll pay for lunch for them and like you know it's just this whole process but most of it's just like okay, we think you're a good fit. Now, do you think you're a good fit? Yeah, do yeah, you yeah. enjoy this? Yeah. Now, like you're going out to lunch. How was that? You yeah. know, like, can you talk to me? Yeah. <laughs> Is it just like, oh, you know, yeah. cross joint, cross sectional area, type yeah. two fibers. Yeah, or like, yeah, yeah. Can, you, can you have a conversation? Yeah. And I think, you know, those, that's like the checklist for us right now. It's like, if you can, I don't even want to say pass because people sometimes ask me like, hey, what do I have to do to work with you? And I'm like, just do everything that you're doing right now. Yeah. You know, you're, you're really ambitious. You're really curious. You're constantly trying to get better. I don't want you to try to be someone else yeah, yeah, in order to get hired. Yeah, 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 exactly. Because that won't work. Uh, last two questions. Uh, you mentioned books. You have to name one book that everyone should read. I've never asked this question to anyone before. I don't think. Maybe at the start of our podcast. What's one really good book? And what are you excited about from the workshop this weekend? Yeah. Books, man, it's so tough. Like it's That's not an answer. Yeah. Just fucking hit me with one. Yeah. I really like Poor Charlie's Almanac. Yeah. So Charlie Munger's book. 
because I think what what you'll get from Charlie's Munger's book is the fact that he sees problems from multiple perspectives. He learns things in other fields and relates it back to investing. And if you can get those two skills down, you can solve a lot of problems in life and you'll you'll just be a more interesting person. Yeah. And I, I think it's Charlie's one of those people where, you know, I was gonna say the almanac of Naval Ravikant, but if you read that book and you read poor Charlie's almanac, you'll realize that Naval says a lot of things that Charlie says. Charlie is Naval Charlie is Naval in sixty years. Yeah. And then if you go back deeper, it's Ben Franklin. Yeah. So it's just slowly figuring out who are the who are the some of the smartest people in the world studying and I just study them. Yeah. You know, and like when I read uh Almanac and Naval Ravikant, it's like this guy keeps mentioning Charlie Munger. Yeah. So I gotta read Charlie Munger. Yeah. I read Charlie Munger's book and I'm reading Benjamin Franklin's biography. I'm like, this guy keeps mentioning Ben Franklin. Yeah. And you know Biographies are key. I, I can't I'm at the point now where I can't stand business books. It's so theoretical. It's like, oh, you should have this system and this system. But then you hear Ben Franklin. He had a he had a newspaper company, didn't he? Yeah. So like you hear him, you hear examples of he used to, even when their company was like starting to do really well, he was he used to put a load of newspapers into a wheelbarrow and wheelbarrow barrow down the street. So people thought that he was still doing the paper round himself. And they were like, oh, like I'm going to still support these guys because they're still grafting so hard. And he was like, just picking up newspapers and wheeling them down the street, not delivering them to anyone. So like, you know, it, that, that, that anecdote, when I was reading and listening about Ben Franklin, like that anecdote hit me so much more than, anything else around business books like where it's just a fr- all these frameworks which can be fine but yeah i like studying people as well <laughs> you know those kind of like i don't even want to say tactics but it's like those kind of ways of thinking there was like a great book i read and it talks about how like there was this uh, apartment complex with a really slow elevator and people were complaining and like oh this elevator needs to get upgraded you know it, it's taking way too long there's only one elevator for this whole apartment complex so inst- you, you would naturally be thinking, okay, oh, fuck, like, we got to upgrade this elevator. We got to get it faster. The person that owned the building just put mirrors next to the elevator. Yeah. And the fact that they put mirrors and people can look at themselves, they completely forgot about the elevator. <laughs> yeah, solving the problem in a different way. Yeah, so way. it's like just how much can I zoom out and just like think about things that aren't – we don't think is related to the yeah. field, but they're so pertinent. And you have to – you don't have to know it well. You just have to know it enough to be dangerous. Yeah, yeah. Okay, poor Charlie's almanac. That's yeah. the answer, so. Uh, what do you what are you excited about is there like one thing from this weekend <laughs> yeah I think I've, I might have it's uh, I always I always joke with uh, our team because like you know we I'm, I'm already heavily influenced by some of your thought process because like when I first started like learning about you you had mentioned like Dave O'Sullivan Gary Ward PRI and all these other things that uh, you know I've I've heard of Dave O'Sullivan actually I honestly haven't heard of but like I went through a lot of the the similar mentors or the trainings that you did because I was like I got to know what this guy knows similar to like Naval Ravikant to like Charlie Munger you're mm-hmm. like Naval Ravikant I'm like all right whatever this guy studies I'm gonna study yeah, yeah, this yeah. guy's getting some good results so like when <laughs> our PTs in the team I'm like dude. If that person's not shaking when he's doing a kickstand deadlift, it's not good enough. <laughs> so I'm just like, I can't wait to fucking start vibrating this weekend. 
<laughs> I actually just uh, tweaked the presentation a little bit, and I think I made the the hinge section a little bit better. So we'll see. But uh, that's gonna that's always the hardest section to teach yeah. because people are so shit at hinging, which is a broader thing around. It's not even associated at hinging. People are so shit at moving their hips. And that exercise forces you to just move your hip where, or hopefully at least, where it's like, now I've taken away everything else, your knee, your spine, your neck, all the other ways, and just show me, can you move your hip? The answer is not without driving the movement from somewhere else for almost everyone. So yeah, when people think I'm obsessed with hinging, it's actually like constraining everything else so that you have to use your hip. No, that's... uh I think I do it well, but I know I get coached. Yeah, you do. And I'm excited. No, no, I'm saying I I think I can coach it well for other people. Yeah. But I think when I'm trying to do it myself, I'm going to pick up some nuances. So I'm excited to like, it's the same thing. You're just looking at the same exercises from a different perspective. Yeah. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a game changer just following you and like seeing you do your thing. Definitely inspiring from a clinical side, even the business side of things as well. So like, I'm just excited to kind of kick it with you this weekend and see some people shake. Yeah, it'll be good. It'll be good. It's always good to just, you learn more. You you won't learn anything from me. You'll just learn from being in the room and just seeing different people, what they're doing and what they think they're doing and how they're coaching as well. It's all, it's just so fucking interesting. But obviously you've taught workshops, so you've seen that where, yeah, people say something doesn't work or whatever. And then you see 30 people in a room where, no one can do it <laughs> and you're like of course it doesn't work you have no idea how to do this so that'll be fun it's it, it's crazy sometimes like to see like to like zoom out like i need to get i need to get lab assistance <laughs> we, we need backup but yeah. no it's gonna be a fun time uh where can people go to find you or where should they go yeah i mean instagram is the main thing it's at Dr.Andy Chen. And if you're interested in working with us, if you're in the New York City area from like a pain perspective, it's at moment.btp. And educational side of things is at moment.education. Where's your clinic? Literally five blocks from here. Okay. So, yeah. Um, and how do I tip in New York? How do you tip in New York? Yeah. What do you mean? In America. We don't have, we don't tip in Ireland basically. We tip at like dinner, but I fucking, I actually hate New York. It makes me so uncomfortable, actually, America in general. Because I'm, I, I go to check in at a hotel and I see a guy standing there looking at me. I'm like, should I be tipping this guy? <laughs> like, I just don't know who to tip and when to tip. Yeah, it, you, you pretty much tip if you sit down for a meal. If someone provides you a service and you're sitting down, I would say. Do you like, tip in Starbucks now? Because they're like turning the screen. It's like yeah, when, 20%. Once you see the, the screen, you, you already know that you're going to be tipping for something you don't need to tip for. It really depends. Like if it's Starbucks and I'm ordering like a drip coffee and you're just pouring the thing. <laughs> like, listen, man, I could have done that. <laughs> but if you're making me a nice latte, like, all right, like you got it. Let me give you something. Really? But most of the places. You've got it. You fucking pressed the button. <laughs> yeah. You've got it. You've got it. <laughs> and the Starbucks is like that. But I, I would say in places I frequent more often. I'll start to tip as I get to know and build a relationship with them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we were, we were for our honeymoon, we we're at the Four Seasons in Mexico City. And when you go to a five-star hotel, that shit's like a fucking mission. Yeah. Like I get it. We get into the hotel. The guy opens my door. I'm like, I could have done that. I'm like, fuck. Yeah. We go in and we check in. And the guy talks on his walk talk like so-and-so just checked in. And I, I look back and the person by the door that's holding our luggage is like, I got it. <laughs> I'm like, there's people walkie-talking each other. 
putting you, getting you ready for a tour, getting you ready for the room. And, I, and in my head, I'm like, that's like five people at the tip already. Yeah. Someone that's actually life. like not good service to me because it's making me feel uncomfortable. Not that I'm cheap. Like I don't mind tipping. I just don't know when I should tip. That's yeah. my problem. Like, yeah, like this I'm, guy, fucking this guy. I'm not used to luxury. So I was like, do I tip him? I'm like, like, what, what do I do? Like I could have carried my own bag. It wasn't mm. that heavy. You know, like. we went to, uh, we went to, so my, my dad has a friend that is from, the same town in Ireland as him. And he's been living, he actually used to own, be part owner of the, one of the bars, I think it was the closest bar to Madison Square Garden over here. I think he worked there and then he got a chance, this is years and years and years ago, 30 years ago. And he got a chance to become part owner and then he sold his share and moved down to Fort Lauderdale and he has a few bars there now. So like he's a multimillionaire. But when me and Kira were living in Boston years ago, seven or eight years ago, maybe more actually. He rang me one day and said, do you want to come down to Vegas with me? So he, he, <laughs> he, he spends like, at least around that time, he spent about three months of every year in Vegas playing poker at different times. So wow. like a month, a month, a month spread out through the year. So he, I, I actually said, I'll make this story longer now, but I was in the car. I was like, yeah, I'm coming. He said, just book your flight. I have the room in the area for you. I have everything sorted. <laughs> so went into the, went into the apartment. Kira goes, I goes, I'm going to Vegas this weekend. And she went, are we? And I said, oh shit, hang on. I rang him back. Can Kira come too? He was like, yes, she can come. So we went down. He brought us on a tour around and he made us for dinner that night in like a seven star restaurant, right? Seven uh, still? Uh, yeah, five Fucking stars. this fucking Holy thing. Shit. So um, the waiter came up and he hadn't been there in, uh, my friend, my dad's friend, he hadn't been in the, in that hotel or in that restaurant for 12 months previous and the guy came up and said sir you want and he read out the wine that he wanted and i goes what the fuck how did he know what wine you wanted before he said anything else and he said i tipped him last year and so he leaves like the most monster tips and everyone (laughs) remembers him everywhere and he makes it he makes a proper effort of just tipping as heavy as possible but he also won a million dollars in poker that 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 year that we were there so yeah so yeah there's there's certain people that you gotta tip your barber you gotta tip (laughs) (laughs) or he will fuck you up (laughs) up. you you gotta tip your barber when we got um when we're getting married my barber gave me a haircut and i was like he said what do you think i'm like mark like you fucking crushed it (laughs) and then i gave him him a fat tip and he goes andy you sure you're gonna tip that much i'm like when you're getting married everything costs like a at least a thousand dollars i'm like mark this is the smallest thing on a wedding budget trust me yeah you deserve this This means nothing to me right now (laughs) i'm already skinned like thank you (laughs) (laughs) but yeah the fat tips like people who remember that stuff yeah like this is a like a life pro tip if you're gonna go somewhere and you know you're gonna go there frequently and you really enjoy it just First like time. Every single wedding we go to, yeah. open bar, fat tip to start. Yeah. You know, like uh, now I can just go like, Aperol Spritz, you're going to catch you. I got you. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to wait anymore. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Like, if you're going to accumulate tips over the night, just fat tip right in the beginning. If you yeah. Can, At least you get the service then. Yeah. yeah. Rather than spreading it out. <laughs> yeah. Just be like, this is you for the night, buddy. Hey, 50. Thanks, brother. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Andy, my friend, thank you very much. My pleasure, man. Thank you for having you me. Carried us here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>